and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, December 23rd, we are studying the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That is number 357 in Lutheran Service Book. This quintessential Advent hymn teaches us to pray that Emmanuel, God with us, would come to us and bring his gifts. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Vandercook. Pastor Vandercook serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be with you again. So we get started today, Pastor Vandercook. Let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent. We are here at the very end of Advent. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Uh, what should we know about the season of Advent, its importance for us as Christians, especially as we, we're drawing to the end of it now? Yeah, well, Advent means basically, <clears throat> excuse me, Advent means uh, coming or arrival. And so we kind of have this threefold coming of Christ whenever we're looking at Advent. Uh, first of all, that he has come, that is, that God fulfilled his promise of sending a seed of Abraham to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, so kind of combining the uh, the first gospel from Genesis 3.15, then also the promise to Abraham. Uh, but this seed, Jesus Christ, comes then to bring peace between God and man. He unites himself, or he united, we're talking about the past tense here, united himself to our human nature prematurely, uh, not prematurely, permanently, sorry, wrong P word, uh, permanently okay. <laughs> uh, in the incarnation. Uh, and then the second thing that we celebrate is the fact that he comes, that is, that he still comes today. He continues to come among us uh, in word and sacrament, um, week in and week out, bringing his gifts to us day by day. Uh, and then we celebrate that he shall come, uh, that is, that his majesty will be fully revealed at the end of time. So Advent is really looking forward more so, uh, uh, primarily so, to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, so it should not be viewed simply as kind of pre-Christmas, um, but rather it is uh, specifically looking at the second coming of Christ. And that's borne out by uh, the readings that are selected, uh, the various uh, lectionary readings that are, that are used during the uh, Advent season, which tend to be very much focused on uh, the end times uh, and not so much really focused on the time before Christmas. I mean, the fact is that we don't really have a lot of narrative about what happens before the birth of Jesus, besides what we find there in like Luke chapter one. Uh, but uh, more so as we work our way toward Christmas, we're actually talking about the end times more than just Jesus coming the first time. Uh, being born of the Virgin Mary. We cover most of that stuff actually on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day uh, rather than during Advent. 
That's right. I mean, when you look at the the lectionary, there's oh, I don't I should have counted beforehand, but there are several Christmas Eve, Christmas midnight, Christmas dawn, Christmas day. I don't know if I listed them all. So you you can spend all the time in the world there in worship on Christmas, and so we use the season of Advent for for other things. This preparation that you're talking about. What's the what's the practicality of that? Why is that important for us? Yeah. Well, really. You know, the, the message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the reign of heaven is at hand, or the reign of God is at hand. That really is the central message, not just of uh, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, but it is the central message of Christian preaching at all times, because um, we must stay awake for the coming of Jesus. If we're found sleeping, that means that we are found perhaps uh, outside of the faith, even. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we continue to keep ourselves ready for Christ's uh, second coming because we don't know the day or the hour of Christ's second coming. Uh, the other thing is, too, that um, in kind of a practical sense, Advent forces us to be patient. So while at the same time we know that Christ could come at any time, we also know that he hasn't come yet, uh, but we need to patiently wait for his coming. Uh, we are living in a world that is very much all about immediate uh, fulfillment. I order something on Amazon, it comes tomorrow on a truck. Um, you know, so we want things here and we want them right now. And the same thing is true when it comes to our various celebrations in the world. Most of the world is done with Christmas by the time actual Christmas gets here. Uh, in fact, my, my wife was, uh, uh, was, was suggesting the other day that I I put a sign on front of, we've seen advertisements that come in the mail for, for uh, some of the area churches that are having their Christmas celebrations, perhaps on like, uh, I'm just throwing a date out there, like December 19th or something like that. And she told me, uh, you should put a sign on, uh, you should change the church sign to read, celebrate Christmas on actual Christmas day, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, I kind of I, I kind of laughed at that, and I thought that's actually not a bad idea. I don't know if I have enough letters to actually fit that onto the sign, <laughs> but um, but the fact is that um, we've kind of turned uh, you know the actual Christmas Day into just a time for uh, for family rather than a, a celebration of the of the newborn uh, uh, King Jesus Christ, uh, and so Advent though forces us uh, as we lead up to Christmas to not jump the gun and look at Christmas, but rather to do that. And specifically here, whenever we look at um, uh, the hymnody of Advent, um, I had a, I've had more than one parishioner over the years ask me, hey, how come we don't sing more Christmas hymns during Advent? And, you know, I, I could be really snarky and say, well, because it's not Christmas yet. And uh, so we're going to sing Advent hymns because it's Advent. Uh, but, uh, you know, on top of that, um, I think the better answer, and I actually gave this answer, as I said, well, we wouldn't get to sing any Advent hymns if we didn't yeah. have Advent. So <laughs> if we just skipped right. all the Christmas hymns, I'd run out of places to put Christmas hymns by the time we got to Christmas. So yeah. That's right. And and there are, as we've seen in this this study, there have been so many good Advent hymns that we have. And I, I do think, I mean, Lutherans do these preparatory seasons very well, both Advent and Lent. Uh, some of, personally, some of my favorite hymns come from those two sections. As much as I love the Christmas and Easter hymns, the Advent and Lenten ones are fantastic as well. So it has been a joy to, to look at these Advent hymns during this Advent season. Uh, you get the last one, Pastor Vanderkoop. Before we look at it, though, what's what's your favorite? 
Uh, my favorite, you know, I don't know. I'd probably be hard pressed over the years to go back and pick a favorite. But uh, over the last few years, I have really become such a, uh, such a fan of Paul Gerhardt's hymns. Uh, and, and I think that uh, a lot of that is, I mean, not to hang anybody out to dry that I grew up with, or, you know, pastors that I grew up with, or even, you know, uh, people that taught me hymns over the years, but I didn't really learn Gerhardt hymns, uh, when I was younger. And I, and I feel like I've just been exposed to them with the last few years, but I think just theologically, um, they carry so much weight. There's so much that he packs into his uh, hymn stanzas. So my favorite Advent hymn is, Oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You? Um, uh, by Paul Gerhardt. It's a uh, 334 in the LSB. And um, I think it, as as I read through it, we sang it here uh, just this past Sunday. Well, as we're recording, just this past Sunday uh, in uh, in Wamel and North Little Rock. Um, and it's, it just hits all of the major themes in Advent so well. And the tune that it's, it's paired with by Johann Kruger, uh, just a fantastic tune that really carries it well. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know. I, I have a similar experience when it comes to Paul Gerhardt. Maybe I just don't remember singing his hymns or not recognizing them, or, or maybe just, you know, growing older has, has forced me to, to read them with a new set of eyes. And I, I see the comfort of his hymns just so much. So I, I really love that Advent hymn as well. It's been one of the favorites of, of many here on the show. And and yet this one that we get today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is probably right up there with it. And and I do think when it when it comes to, if you had to say, what does Advent sound like? This hymn probably is what's playing in many people's minds. I think this hymn is what people attach to Advent. And at least... Uh, for me, it's always been hard to to wait to sing it until you get to the fourth Sunday in Advent, which I think is generally when it's assigned to be the hymn of the day, because you, you kind of want to start singing it already. Uh, so talk a little bit about this, this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, just some introductory thoughts on the text, some history, any background that we need to know. Sure. Yeah, it is, as you said, it is the, the hymn of the day that's often appointed for the fourth Sunday of Advent. In fact, that's in all of our lectionaries, um, whether you're using the three-year lectionary or church uses the one-year lectionary. Um, it, is, it is the hymn of the day that's appointed for that fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, it's based upon these seven great O antiphons. And the, the Lutheran service book has actually put those O antiphons on the facing page of the hymn uh, so that uh, anybody that uh, uh, you know is curious about where those are, what those are, uh, they're listed there. And these these antiphons, which I think we need to spend a lot of time talking about, because this is really where the hymn stands has come from. Uh, these antiphons were designed to be used uh, in uh, the Vesper service, the last seven days of Advent. Uh, and so there would be you would you would sing this antiphon bracketing the Magnificat in Vespers. Uh, and so while it's typical for us to sing this hymn on a, a Sunday morning, you know, the Sunday morning, the fourth Sunday of Advent, um, it, it would also be uh, very appropriate uh, to sing it as an evening hymn uh, because of the nature of its origin. Hmm. So with these O antiphons, I mean, it, it, where is there any history or, or specific order to them? I know you mentioned they, they go in the Vesper service traditionally. What, uh, where are they? I don't know. What, what, why these particular antiphons? Yeah, well, the, they're formulated as prayers, these antiphons are, that are addressed to the Son of God, calling for his return on the last day. Uh, and so uh, kind of in the same way that you have, uh, you know, we have the collect of the day each, each Sunday in the divine service that has kind of this, this structure of uh, 
having a, an address and then a rationale and then a petition. Each of these O antiphons, as you read through them, has a, an address to God uh, and then kind of a rationale followed by a petition as well, uh, kind of saying that, uh, you know, addressing God by this name, uh, in this case, Jesus in particular, um, and then, um, you know, kind of building on that theme and then asking Jesus to do something uh, in his return. And so it's, it's kind of just kind of all the different uh, reasons that we, we need Jesus, we desire Jesus' second coming are expressed by these antiphons. Hmm. Okay, so the antiphons form the basis for the hymn. And as you said in Lutheran Service Book, you can see these put together. The hymn and is on one page and then two more stanzas at the top. And then on the next page, you have these great O antiphons included with their their dates. How, how do you get from the antiphons to the hymn? Well, it had to be converted to a hymn. Uh, and it seems like that... Uh, from what I've uh, from what I've read, it seems that that has been, um, you know, around the year 1710. So we're looking at the early 18th century that this first appears in a in a in a Catholic hymnal. Um, but in that particular hymn, there were only five stanzas, uh, and so the whole thing wasn't done yet at that point. Uh, it, it's not until uh, several years later, and by several, I mean into the 20th century, that we finally get the last two stanzas that are added. And they're not, it's not like they added the last two in the, in the hymn. It was, um, you know, one, three, four, five, six, and then they needed two and seven. And two and seven were actually added to the English translation of the hymn that was published uh, in the American Episcopal Hymnal of 1943. And so it wasn't really until then that we actually get all seven of the uh, antiphons included as hymn stanzas. So while it's a, you know, while it's a very old hymn in its source material, um, the hymn itself is not actually complete until the middle of last century. Hmm. Okay, and and just looking at the hymn and comparing it to the antiphons, it looks like the last antiphon is the one to Emmanuel. And that got moved to verse or stanza one, but then the others go in order for December seventeenth through twenty second. It looks like, yeah, that's correct. the 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 first stanza is actually the last antiphon, um, and that kind of becomes you know that. But you know the refrain has that that title Emmanuel, which kind of becomes the the glue that holds this whole hymn together. Uh, that title Emmanuel, and so whenever the hymn was uh, you know formulated. They put the that stanza first, uh, and of course it was it was sung all at once. Now, what I've done mm-hmm. with my family, I'm pretty sure I remember doing this with my family in recent years. The last seven evenings of Advent, we as a family would go through this hymn, but we'd sing the one that was appointed for that day. So, like the on December seventeenth, we would sing this stanza two, and we wouldn't sing the first stanza until we got to December twenty third for our family devotion. So. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it could be used that way, but obviously the way the hymn is written, it's, it's written to be sung kind of all at once. And that's the way we do it whenever we do it on uh, the fourth Sunday in Advent. Now, just one more thing that I see in, in your notes there, in terms of the order of the antiphons, if you, if maybe it's in Latin, if it, there's an acrostic that's, that's happening here. Yeah, that was interesting. I had never noticed this and, and I can't take credit for this. I, I'm, I, you know, I read this elsewhere, but 
the um, this acrostic, uh, you know, S A. Uh, if you just take the first letter of each of these in Latin, um, you get the you get the the acrostic sarcor S A R C O R E, and if you uh, arrange that backwards, it says arrow cross E R O C R A S which means in Latin, tomorrow I will be present. Uh, so, you know, if you actually were to sing this hymn on the, the 23rd, it would be the day before, um, you know, we have, well, the day before Christmas Eve. Uh, and so it would be very, very appropriate uh, to have that tomorrow I will be present. But, uh, uh, but also, you know, looking forward to the end times. Indeed, we always live as if tomorrow Christ will be here. So uh, kind of an interesting thing. I'm not. I'm not uh, fully uh, convinced that that's necessarily was intentional, but it is interesting nonetheless. Okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah, it is interesting. Maybe not intentional. Okay. Very <laughs> good. Well, that's a, a helpful introduction. We've got seven stanzas for this hymn. Each one has a, a refrain. I think I'll I'll read the refrain the first time, and we can talk about it the first time. But after that, I'll just read the stanzas. So this is stanza one of the hymn "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That is stanza one and the refrain of the hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, so Pastor Vandercook, uh, since the word Emmanuel does figure so prominently in this hymn, not only in the title, but in that refrain, it's probably good that we understand uh, what that means, where it comes from in the scriptures. Well, it makes its first uh, appearance in Isaiah seven fourteen, where we hear the prophecy, um, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, and that's the first time we get that, that reference. Emmanuel literally means God with us. And then this uh, prophecy in Isaiah is tied directly to the Christ in uh, Matthew chapter 1. Um, so we have that, uh, idea there. So Israel in the old Testament is looking for with anticipation for the time when they were no longer going to be captive to, uh, Babylon, because that's where we then get to is what is the role of, uh, of Emmanuel God with us? Well, it's to, uh, release us from our captivity. Um, and so, you know, in the old Testament, Israel was, uh, captive. Uh, well, I mean, first to the uh, to the Egyptians in the Exodus, but here in Isaiah's context, looking forward to the uh, exile that will have in Babylon, they were they were captive to that, and uh, they wanted to be out of exile there, of course. Uh, and in the same way, now uh, Israel here applies to the church. The church is the new Israel, and so the exile for us is life in a sinful uh, sin filled world. Um, ultimately Israel, Old Testament Israel was developed for, or delivered from exile in Babylon. And so now, uh, the church prays with hope and confidence that Emmanuel, God with us, that is Jesus is going to similarly deliver us from exile in this world. Um, and, you know, we say until the son of God appear at the end of this stanza, um, there again, we're talking about that appearance on the last day. Um, very much echoing the um, uh, the last petition of the Lord's Prayer, 
but deliver us from evil. And we know that that deliverance will ultimately come on the last day in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hmm. So in this first stanza, we see the background, certainly in the Old Testament, where language like this comes from. And it's very easy to imagine someone in the Old Testament particularly after that prophecy from Isaiah, praying something like this very prayer, but then also recognizing how we as Christians, the new Israel, those who are Israel by faith, we share the faith of Abraham, we too pray that, waiting for the Son of God to appear on the last day. So what, what a fantastic stanza. Uh, one one thing, Pastor Vandercook, and, and it's a it's a question that I've been asked before, and I, I wasn't sure how to answer it. So I'm curious if you have maybe any knowledge that I don't. In this hymn, you know, as it's spelled in English, you have Emmanuel spelled with an E, and we have many congregations that are Lutheran congregations that are spelled Emmanuel with an I. And I've been asked this before: if there's any difference, and as far as I know, there's there's not. It's just a difference in in spelling, but it means the same thing either way. Are you aware of any? I know that maybe, but that's a question I've been asked. So I'm curious if you have any knowledge of such things. This is a. I actually used to know the answer to this question. I really oh, did, and I don't remember. Oh, man. But I believe man. it. Ha- yeah. I believe waiting all this time to find out. (laughs) I believe it has something to do with um, uh, with the way that the word was translated from language to language. uh, You know, Uh, so I've always I've always leaned on the Emmanuel with an I being the more uh, authentic. I guess I don't know if I have a good (laughs) reason for that. Maybe it's just because I know more churches, like you said, with that name spelled with an I in our church body. Um, but I, I don't really know what the, uh, uh, what, I, I don't remember what the reason was, but I, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with whenever the word gets translated to this language or that language, it got spelled with an E or with an I, and it just depended on the language. So, um, but, uh, that, I, I that don't makes remember. sense to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Similar to the, the difference between Alleluia and Hallelujah, I think is a difference in which language you're translating from or into, similar with Emmanuel or Emmanuel. So, okay, well, I appreciate that, Pastor <laughs> Vandercook. More, more on point for the, the theology, though, we, we, we talked about the first stanza, and then I, I read the refrain for us, which you know shows up every time we sing a stanza. And again, you have Emmanuel coming, but it's attached to the, the thought of rejoicing. So connect those thoughts for us, the, the joy as we pray for Emmanuel to come. Right. Well, we in the church rejoice at the coming of Emmanuel. Uh, this past Sunday, at least in the one-year lectionary, um, we we um, we had Jesus pro- or Jesus telling about the end times and talking about the fear and foreboding that would be happening in the world um, because of uh, because of the signs of the end times. In other words, the world would see all these things happening, not understanding what's going on, but God's people do know what's happening. And so the fact that Jesus is coming back is going to be absolutely terrifying for uh, the unbelieving world because they're going to, first of all, not figure out what's going on at first. And then when they do realize what's going on, they're going to have the terror and dread of realizing that it's too late for them to do anything about it. Their time for repentance has run out. However, for the Christian, we rejoice that God is with us and that he's coming. Uh, because we as the new Israel recognize that uh, the coming of Christ means our deliverance from this broken world. 
Mm. So the coming of Emmanuel is great joy for the Christian that God is in fact with us. And that's one of the, the huge themes of Advent and even into Christmas, that God has come to be with us. He has not remained apart from us. He has not left us to die in our sin, but he has come to us. The Son of God has joined our humanity. That is how closely he is with us so that he is our Savior. So this is the, the comfort of Emmanuel, the comfort that this hymn begins with. Let's go ahead and take a look now at stanza two. O come, thou wisdom from on high, who ordrest all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go. That is stanza two of the hymn. So here we address Emmanuel, Christ Jesus, as wisdom from on high. Where is this drawn from in scripture? Well, this is going to come from the book of Proverbs, uh, where we get the uh, wisdom personified, and of course, the whole uh, much of the book of Proverbs is is shaped as a father giving his son uh, advice, passing down wisdom to his son. Uh, but also, it refers to kind of wisdom personified. Now, in Proverbs, wisdom is often uh, given a feminine pronoun, um, but here, uh, wisdom is is the son, is the son of God. Uh, so. It's a title that's used in this sense to distinguish the father from the son in this, in this hymn stanza, um, but also the idea that wisdom, uh, that is, Jesus is the one who orders all things mightily, as it says. Uh, and so really, you're, you're echoing what we hear in uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, where the word becomes mm-hmm. flesh. Uh, you know, and dwells among us. Well, that's John one fourteen. But John one one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we have the order that's being created in the world by the Word of God, uh, that is Jesus. Uh, and then also just the other roles of Jesus here, that He is the one that does, uh, you know, show us the path of knowledge uh, and teach us in her. Again, knowledge uh, being the her here, her ways to go. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is uh, Jesus as teacher and leader here, um, who is, you know, as the, the antiphon on the facing page says, come and teach us the way of prudence, uh, teach us how to live. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that is the way that we're to follow, and that's the way that we're to go. And so we sing, O Come Thou Wisdom, from on high. That's stanza two. We're going to keep looking at this hymn on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor David Vandercook this morning about O Come, O Come Emmanuel. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. 
a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 23rd. We are studying the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's number 357 in Lutheran Service Book. Today we have Pastor David Vandercook as our guest. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, prior to the break, we looked at the first two stanzas, which correspond to the last antiphon, that's stanza one, and then the antiphon for December 17th is stanza two. Now we come to stanza three. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. That is stanza three. So here we speak of Emmanuel, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lord of might. And then the hymn goes on to describe, it looks like an event from the book of Exodus. Uh, help us into stanza three. Yeah, the two great theophanies in, uh, that is the appearances of God, uh, manifestations of God that we have in the book of Exodus are Moses and the burning bush in Exodus 3. And then uh, later we have God revealing himself, speaking again to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. And also, you know, the people of, the people of Israel are there at the base of Mount Sinai, uh, you know, witnessing the, uh, the cloud and majesty and awe, as the hymn stanza puts it there, um, all of these things going on. These are the place, the, Mount Sinai is the place where God uh, gives the Torah, where he establishes his covenant with his people. Uh, and here, this hymn stanza, identifies the one who appears in the burning bush to Moses and the one who again appears on Mount Sinai as the Son of God, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, and so um, very clear tie-in there that uh, in ancient times didst give the law uh, the same one. We're calling for him to come again. Uh, and so the uh, you know we're calling for that same Jesus to come. More explicit, I think, in the antiphon than in the hymn, is is the actual request really the hymn is just talking about that uh, identifying Jesus with the the one that's there at uh, at Mount Sinai the actual antiphon for December 18th says come with an outstretched arm and redeem us uh, so it's a little bit more explicit what we're actually asking um, Jesus the son of god to do if we look at the antiphon not that that's missing in the rest of the hymn, but I just noted that, that that's not really, uh, that that idea is not expressed uh, as clearly as it is in the antiphon there. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out, because looking at you know the hymn, as you said, you, you pretty much have the picture there of the Lord on Mount Sinai giving his law. But then in the antiphon, it's also it also mentions that the same one is the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And now the prayer that he would come with an outstretched arm and redeem us what what strikes me about the antiphon is that it attaches you know what god has done at sinai in giving the law that's part of that's attached to the the idea of redeeming and and when i think about the book of exodus and the redemption that happens there i tend to think of what happens at the passover and the crossing of the red sea that is god's mighty act of redemption and here this antiphon also reminds us that there this giving of the law is is part and parcel to all of that i i find that helpful just thinking about what what God's word is for us, that his his word is 
it brings that redemption to us. I don't know. I, I, that's a connection I don't that I would have make if made if I hadn't looked at the antiphon. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's that is an important thing to remember is that we have uh, the way in which the means by which God comes to us and redeems us uh, are uh, is through uh, you know in our day uh, is through word and sacrament the way that He delivers these gifts to us. Um, and the Torah is is more than just the Ten Commandments, of course. It's it's all of God's word uh, that's being given to His people at that point in time. Mm. All right, so that is stanza three, again attached to the O Antiphon for December eighteenth. We go now to stanza four. O come, thou branch of Jesse's tree, free them from Satan's tyranny that trust thy mighty power to save and give them victory or the grave. That again is stanza four of the hymn. I suppose I, I should have done a better job of reading that. It's free them from Satan's tyranny that trust thy mighty power to save. That's that's all one line. It goes together there. So here we've got the branch of Jesse's tree or in the antiphon, the root of Jesse. Talk about this title for Christ and what's what's sung in this four stanza. Yeah, the language for the for the antiphon itself comes from Isaiah eleven ten, where there it says, "In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." Uh, so that title, "Root of Jesse," comes from that ver that verse in Isaiah eleven. In the hymn, they actually use. Uh, a t- I mean, it's the same idea, of course, but earlier in the same chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 1, in fact, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Uh, so, you know, the, the hymn has chosen to use branch rather than root, um, but uh, nonetheless, the same idea is being conveyed. That is that Jesus is that righteous branch or that, um, uh, you know, the root that springs up from the stump that is left after Israel is cut down, uh, Israel being cut down and, and carried off into exile, uh, you know, first to Assyria and then to Babylon. Uh, but uh, again, uh, God provides a remnant, uh, and from that remnant comes the Christ. And this stanza, uh, more so than the previous one, really does give us the uh, the reason that we call for Jesus, the root of Jesse, to come to us, or the branch of Jesse. Uh, the role of Jesus is to free us from the reign of Satan. Uh, the defeat of Satan was accomplished at the cross, but again, its consummation is coming on the last day. So here, this says, free them from Satan's tyranny, that is, those that trust thy mighty power to save. Uh, that's who we're talking about. So we are the ones who trust in uh, Jesus' mighty power to save, and we are praying that he would free us from Satan's tyranny and give us victory over the grave. Christ has won victory over the grave for us, uh, and the ultimate um, fulfillment of that victory will be granted to us on the last day when we will overcome uh, the grave ourselves. Those who have died in the faith, uh, you know, and then uh, will will be raised from the dead um, and and risen to everlasting life, uh, and those who are alive at Christ's coming, who are believers, will will never have to even be in the grave. In fact, mm, so I mean, when we think about our Lord freeing us from Satan's tyranny, 
I'm reminded of the the section in the Gospels. I, I think it's in Matthew and Mark for sure, maybe in Luke as well, where Jesus speaks about binding the strong man, how he comes to to bind Satan and and free us from his might as as his plunder, or or even some of the images from the Book of Revelation come to mind with with Jesus freeing us from Satan, and then you know this idea of victory or the grave brings to mind First Corinthians fifteen, where where the final victory is given to us in the resurrection from the dead. Certainly that consummation. So it, this is a, again another fantastic uh, hymn stanza. Just looking. Uh, briefly at the antiphon that it's attached to on December 19th, where where we pray, O root of Jesse, standing as an ensign before the peoples, before whom all kings are mute, to whom the nations will do homage, come quickly to deliver us. It, it strikes me that that the way it, it goes into the hymn is speaking about Satan's tyranny. So even even Satan in his his role as a king, you know, we, we talk about being delivered from the the domain or the reign of Satan. Even he, before Jesus, must be mute and must bow down before him. It, I don't know. Maybe that's. It seems that's the way the that imagery makes it into the hymn from the antiphon. Yeah, and I think it's also helpful for us to always remember that uh, there's no such thing as um, neutral parties. <laughs> whenever it comes yeah. to, um, you know, whenever it comes to foreign nations or or not foreign nations. Um, you know, political authorities and things like that. Right now, in my in, in my Bible class, we're working through the uh, the book of Daniel, and mm. uh, in Daniel, in particular, as you get to the latter chapters of Daniel, there's a lot of these references to these uh, foreign kings. Uh, you know, the kings of Syria, the kings of Egypt, uh, Alexander the Great's in there. Uh, you've got the kings of the Medes, the Persians, and so forth. Um, these these kings are not just all neutral parties, uh, but rather they are used either uh, you know by God to do His will, or they're they're at times used by Satan to destroy the people of God. Uh, and so these these kings who are made mute um, are often uh, yeah they're they're kings who perhaps have pride in their own kingdom and have sinful pride in their own kingdom. But they can often become the instruments of Satan in that they are um, trying to thwart the will of God. Uh, And so they are, uh, in a sense, agents of Satan at times. uh, And those are the that's the type of tyranny that we're being delivered from. So I think I think the two fit together definitely for sure. um, Either way you look at it. Right. And and it's striking then that it it's spoken in this stanza of the branch of Jesse's tree, the Jesse being the father of David and the, the line of kings is brought to mind as well in, in that image. So we get another image with David in stanza five. So this is stanza five of the hymn. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. That is stanza five of the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So here we have Jesus spoken of as key of David. I know there's there are chrismons on, on Christian trees, Christmas trees, that uh, that often show keys. And sometimes I've seen children wonder, what is what do keys have to do with Jesus or with Christmas? So here we have that image, key of David. What What is this talking about? Well, that imagery originally comes from Isaiah 22, Isaiah chapter 22 where the Lord is um, taking away uh, Shebna, who is over the household of, of, of Israel, who is over the, who's in charge of, um, 
um, who's in charge of what's going on at the, the temple in Jerusalem, he's taking that away from him and giving it to another because he's been unfaithful. And he gives it to uh, Eliakim. Uh, and so he's given the key to the house of David. And that symbolizes that he's in charge of managing the Lord's house. The concept, though, is further developed in Revelation 3.7, and that's really from where the, the hymn stanza uh, comes from, is from Revelation 3.7. Um, and uh, there, uh, that, that reads, um, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Um, that's Jesus, who is the one who opens and no one will shut, who closes and no one will open. Uh, so Jesus has authority over the household of God. He opens the way to our heavenly home. Um, I think, you know, while, while it's, it's a little bit perhaps going further than what the hymn's trying to go here, uh, obviously this imagery of keys locking and unlocking um, the way to eternal life, I think does play uh, play into how we understand the office of the keys in the church as well. Um, you know, Jesus' desire is that uh, all men are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, uh, and He gives that authority to uh, forgive and retain sins uh, to the church. Uh, and the ministers of Christ are the ones who then exercise that office of the keys in the stead and by the command of their Lord Jesus Christ. So. Uh, here we're calling, though, for uh, Jesus, the key of David, to come and open the way to our heavenly home, because he is the one who opens and no one can close. Hmm. I'm glad you you brought out the office of the keys, because I was going to ask if if there was a relationship. And I, I think you're right that that there is, at least in the way that we speak about it in, in our Lutheran theology and confess it in the, the small catechism, certainly. I, I don't know if it's there in the antiphon or not. Although, I mean, you know, you open and no one can close, you close and no one can open certainly brings out the idea that, you know, a key can do two things. It can either unlock or lock. And when it comes to the office of the keys, there is a, an unlocking of heaven, but also a locking to those who are, are unrepentant. So, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly there in the, the Antiphon or not. We have seen that imagery in other Advent hymns that have spoken about very explicitly, you know, the, the fact that at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are those who will receive him for their judgment and those who will receive them to their great joy. You mentioned that early on when we were talking about the the refrain of this hymn. So it, it I don't know if it's it's a, meant to be explicit, but I, I think it's there. What strikes me about the the stanza when I think about the key image, I guess that I'd never really thought about is that the the unlocking that happens in the stanza is the the way that leads on high. He he opens this this way to our heavenly home and he makes it safe. But then the closing is the closing the path to misery. So on the one hand, as Christ opens the way to heaven, he also then uh, shuts us off and prevents us from going the way to misery. And I guess I'd, I'd never really thought about that that preservation that our Lord does as a part of the, the opening and, and closing or unlocking and locking. He unlocks the way to heaven and then locks for, for us, he locks that way to misery so that we you know go the way to the kingdom of heaven. I, I'd, I've never really thought about that before. Yeah, and you know, as, as you were speaking, I was looking at that myself again, too, and I thought of that just, uh, you know, just as I was reading through it myself once again, this closing of the path to misery, 
Um, and, you know, when we think about the, the second coming of Christ, that is, in a sense, um, well, it's not in a sense. That is what's happening, is that uh, the way that leads on high is open, and the redeemed, it's no longer possible for them to fall away and go into misery. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I think that's the way I would, uh, that's the way I'm looking at it right now anyway, is that when the key of David does come, he's going to open the, the way to heaven and close it off to where the redeemed, there's no more chance for them to fall away. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a helpful way of looking at it. And again, something that I don't know that I would have thought about if not for the imagery of this hymn. So uh, what a, what a great prayer there in stanza five. Let's take a look now at stanza six. O come thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. That is stanza six of the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So, Pastor Vandercook, what is a what is a day spring? Why do we call Jesus day spring from on high? Yeah, whenever I see day spring, I always think of like greeting cards for some reason. Uh, <laughs> a, but uh yeah, no, it's a, uh, you know, the imagery is drawn uh, from the Benedictus, uh, which is the alternate canticle in uh, in Matins. We actually use it pretty frequently at my two congregations, probably even more the, than the Te Deum, actually. But um, if you look at the, the song of Zechariah, uh, you know, at the at the birth of, of his son, John the Baptist, um, he uh, uh, he says there toward the end of that, um, uh, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, referring to John the Baptist. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, when the day shall dawn upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in the dark, in the darkness, in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, so, the day spring is referring to light, uh, and that's expressed really well in the O Antiphon, where it says, O day spring, splendor of light everlasting. Uh, so it's the idea of, we, you know, we think of a spring, it's usually water shooting up from the ground or you know, seeping out from the ground or something like that. Uh, and here we have light that is, that is bursting forth, um, this day spring. Uh, and so... We're, we're dispersing the gloomy clouds of night. We have this interplay between light and darkness that we see all over the place in the scriptures that, uh, that, that you know, we have the, the light of Christ that shines into the world. We, we use a service of evening prayer at uh, both my congregations during Advent, and we have that, uh, uh, you know, opening, uh, the opening verse Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Uh, and so we have Christ the light uh, who is coming into the world, uh, who is, uh, that is turning the gloomy clouds of night uh, and getting rid of the shadows because he's shining light on all of it. Mm, yeah, this, this imagery of, of Christ as the light shattering and scattering the darkness, that has been a common theme in the season of Advent. We've seen it in many hymns and in certainly many texts, and we see it here again today. And and I love, again, the way the hymn takes it all the way to death's dark shadows put to flight, even that that yeah. gloomiest of night, the, the gloomiest of you know, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. 
even there we fear no evil for Christ is with us. He is our Emmanuel and he, he brings his light. Uh, what, a, what a fantastic hymn stanza. So let's take a look now at the final one. This is stanza seven of the hymn cor- corresponding to the December 22nd O Antiphon. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease, and be thyself our king of peace. That is stanza seven, the final stanza of the hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. So here Christ is referred to as the desire of the nations. It looks like in the the O Antiphon, he's called the king of the nations. Uh, Take us into this stanza and, and the way it relates to that O Antiphon. Yeah, the um, the O Antiphon, O King of Nations, as you pointed out, is different than Desire of Nations. Um, the cornerstone uniting all people, um, come and save us all whom you formed out of clay. Uh, acknowledging the fact that God is the creator of all, uh, and while everything is divided in this world, um, everything will be united uh, in Christ when he comes, and he will unite all people. Um, so this is the this is the 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 fact that all divisions division will cease at the second coming of Jesus, uh, and the way that ties into the desire of nations, I think that there is that desire of the nations that we all be united. Um, hmm. We all may have a different idea of how to accomplish that in our worldly thinking, but uh, the fact is that that is what we desire. Um, you know. So uh, again, we want the divisions to cease. Bid thou our, our sad divisions cease uh, and be thyself our king of peace. Uh, of course, we sing of that peace on uh, Christmas Day and then throughout the, you know, throughout the whole year in the glory and excelsis, glory to God in the highest and peace uh, to God's people on earth. Um, so we have that, uh, that wish for peace. And the type of peace, of course, that's being brought is not kind of a uh, you know, worldly utopia, but rather the peace between God and man. That's ultimately what we are seeking. Mm. Yeah, the the language of desire of nations, we we saw it come up in another Advent hymn in, in number 338 in Lutheran service book, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There, Charles Wesley speaks of of Christ as the dear desire of every nation, echoing echoing this. And, and the prayer to to bind in one the hearts of all mankind again you know, noticing how the poetry really goes it it those two lines you have to read them together that the only real foundation for for peace can be found in Christ you you talked about that the the peace that Jesus brings is a peace between God and man you know between heaven and earth because of what Jesus has done. We are reconciled to God. We are no longer his enemies. There is that peace now. From that peace, that, that's the only place that true peace between mankind can flow. And, and if there is, I mean, certainly, you know, there can be peace between nations, I suppose, apart from, you know, faith in Christ. There have certainly been rulers in this world that have been at peace with one another. They have been fighting each other, even if they were both pagans. And yet that, that vertical peace between God and man 
that that's the real foundation for for peace that would exist between human beings and that's i mean expressed in the forgiveness that we have and we share in the church uh, and even in, i'm thinking of some of those passages from isaiah you know, isaiah 11 that talk about the the wolf and the lamb lying down side by side that that kind of peace as well peace within creation the foundation for that must be the peace that christ won between god and man yeah no i agree 100 <laughs> percent Okay, very good. So so that is, I mean, we've got the last stanza then, the desire of nations binding in one the hearts of all mankind and causing our divisions to cease and being our king of peace. And that is that is what we pray for, no doubt. I mean, you know, think about the divisions that exist in our world, even the divisions within the church. I find this to be a very helpful prayer in, in just about in all of those contexts that we would look to Christ to bring us true unity. Because, I mean, that that's the place where we can only find true unity if we if we find a unity by just kind of glossing over our divisions and, and not really acknowledging them and then there's no forgiveness then it's not a real peace but only in Christ can we have that that true peace with with no division talk talk a little bit more about that pastor Vandercook. yeah uh, you know and, and again this is to to give a scripture reference on this particular hymn stanza uh, Haggai 2 uh, is uh, we don't we don't hear from Haggai that often but uh, Haggai 2, verses 7, uh, 7 through 9. Well, we'll just, we'll skip over. Well, 7 through 9, yeah. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Uh, so yeah, peace is always going to be uh, begun and finished by by God. Uh, we aren't going to be able to affect it ourselves, um, you know, as much as we may try. Uh, but uh, but ultimately, the only true peace that's ever going to be accomplished is going to be accomplished in Christ. Um, it's and the only way that we're going to end division is by uh, being united uh, as God's people. Mm, that's right. The the peace between God and man gives peace between humankind, and God grant that he bid our sad division cease, that he would give us that peace now and certainly forever. Pastor David Vandercook is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumel, Arkansas, helping us today look at the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, number 357 in Lutheran Service Book. Pastor Vandercook, thanks for being our guest today. Happy to be here. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. After today, we will be taking a break here on KFUO for the 12 days of Christmas. Make sure you tune in for special programming to help you celebrate the fact that Christ the Savior is born for you over the next 12 days of Christmas. Sharper Iron will be back with regular programming starting January 9th. We will be looking at the gospel according to St. John. Thank you for spending the morning with us. Have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year in our Savior Jesus Christ. Talk to you next year.